Welcome to the Kids Corner, where we explore sensory processing, development, and play with purpose as it pertains to eating, sleeping, playing, and growing. On this podcast, we will educate you on the lesser-known topics, give practical tips and tricks to help elevate your practice, and provide resources for families and caregivers. We are your hosts. I'm Bean, the co-founder of ReU and a recovering paraplegic. And I'm Nancy, a kinesiologist specializing in pediatrics, facilitating learning and development through movement and play therapies. Today we're talking about DMI, so dynamic movement intervention. So we have two very special guests with us today. We have Joanne Weltman, who is the owner of Smile Therapy in Toronto. They're doing some pretty cool things out there. She's been a physiotherapist since 1991, which is amazing. Together combined, Joanne and Jake both have over 50 years experience, which is super impressive. Joanne has experience with conductive education, therapeutic taping, Theratogs application, Therasuit, vestibular ocular therapy, cortical visual impairment therapy, as well as Sveus Medic exercises, so CME level three train. Joanne is one of the co-founders of DMI, so we are super excited to have Joanne with us. So welcome, Joanne. Hi, Nancy, and thank you so much for having us on this podcast. And then we have Jake Kreindler. He is also a physiotherapist. He graduated in 1997. He also has a lot of experience behind him, also being a CME Level 3 specialist as well. There's not too many of them in the world today, so it's a very uh, great achievement. He also has therapeutic taping, sensory processing, and integration training, as well as aquatic therapy. He's one of the co-founders of DMI as well, so thank you for being on our podcast. Thank you so much, Nancy. It's wonderful to be here. All right, so why don't we jump in with Joanne first. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself in detail, about kind of your background and how you came to start DMI? I have a very long history. I started off in Johannesburg, South Africa, where I graduated from the university there, always wanted to do pediatrics. So straight away, I went into the hospital setting and I did my rotations through the hospital in every area of pediatrics. I then was fortunate enough to move to San Diego, California, where I worked in a hospital there, learned about sensory integration, moved to Auckland, New Zealand, spent two years doing conductive ed, thought that conductive ed was wonderful because I'd only known NDT. I then moved to Toronto, Canada, where I came across what was known then as something called medic. And I was intrigued by this. So I took level one, took level two, and was fortunate enough to be chosen as one of the first three people in the world to do my level three. In those days, it was then changed to crevice medic exercise. Um, I have then spent the last many years practicing and evolving the technique because I've also taken a lot of different courses. So I've worked with different specialists in different areas, Theratogs, Therasuit, Muscle Stim, any kind of therapy that there is out there. I research it. I want to learn about it. I connect with uh, different instructors. And I also do a lot of work on reading the latest and most current research that there is so that I can stay current and make sure that whatever I'm applying from a therapeutic point of view to the children that I'm seeing is up to date. So that has helped me evolve my handling and facilitation and 
what I want to achieve with the kids that I see. I want them to have the best care. I want them to have access to the best tools to help them progress and for optimal outcomes in their treatment sessions. So I haven't stopped learning. I still am learning from every child that I see. I learn from other therapists. And um, that is exactly how we came across DMI because we found that what I was doing was not enough. I needed to provide more and do more. I've also been fortunate enough to travel the world and I've been to different places, Hong Kong, India, UK, and also just working in San Diego and Auckland, New Zealand. I've also traveled around the States to different places um, to help families. And I've been in contact with a lot of families who are desperate, absolutely desperate for this kind of therapy, and they haven't had access to it. So what was important for me was to make sure that they gained access to it and that the level of therapy out there was raised to a better level. I do find that the the level of therapy in the world has dropped and there's so many people eager to learn and make changes and the parents are pushing for changes. um, So we are supporting them with whatever we can do to make sure that this therapy is shared with whoever is able to access it. And that's amazing. And I think that's what we really do love about you is that you're always learning and you're always growing. And that's just the mark of a really amazing therapist. Yeah, we don't know it all. You know, we we keep learning, we keep changing, we want to do more research, we want to learn from the different therapists around the world and get feedback and share. The more people that are practicing this technique, the more we learn about what changes it makes in the children. And we can, you know, get feedback and keep growing. That's our goal. That's a great goal to have. That's awesome. Very impressive. Mm -hmm. And then Jake, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got into pediatrics? Sure. So I graduated in 1997, as I said, and immediately I was working in pediatrics because I had had a scholarship from the New York City Board of Education. So I was automatically working in school-based therapy right away. But while I was working in the schools, I was also doing adult home care and traumatic brain injury and skilled nursing facility coverage and things like that. But after a couple of years, I realized that I enjoyed spending time with the children more than I enjoyed the adult rehab population. So I started to work in early intervention here in New York. And then in 1999, just a couple of years after I had graduated, I had taken my first, then it was medic, uh, my first medic course with Ramon and Esther Fink. And I guess everybody has a moment in their life when a light bulb goes off. And as soon as I had taken the course, in fact, even when I had heard about it previously from a couple of colleagues who had taken the course, the theory and practical application of it automatically just resonated with me immediately. So once I had taken that, I had accepted more early intervention cases, and that was the beginning of me specializing in pediatrics. Over the course of the years, though, I had felt that I needed additional information, so I had taken many other courses along the way. And then in 2004, I became the seventh person to be then Medic Exercises Certified. And that was a wonderful new chapter in my career in that um, I felt I had reached, you know, really the pinnacle of the training that CME had offered. And for many years, I practiced that really as a purist, really not doing many other modalities. And it wasn't until a few years back that you know, coming across social media and seeing what other people were doing and seeing how other people were adapting other modalities to get better outcomes for the kids that I really started to change the way I did things. So recognizing 
how Therasuit and how electric stimulation and how Theratogs and other modalities that people were using to achieve better alignment and to get better outcomes for the children. Once I had seen that, I had started to realize that maybe what I was doing wasn't enough. And I started to examine more of the current trends in pediatric physical therapy. The push to move to DMI was really uh, born out of me and Joanne reconnecting after many years of meeting each other. We reconnected and uh, we collaborated on another project. And then we had many discussions about what we felt the future was for pediatric physical therapy and specifically for the kinds of exercises that we felt could really help the kids better. And uh, we created DMI together, and we really wanted to maximize the potential of every single child. It was born out of a need, and like Joanne, I had also traveled the world doing intensives for children. I had gone to, to Hong Kong and to the UK and a bunch of cities around the U.S., and like Joanne had said, the access out there was really, really pathetic. People had heard of something, they wanted to try it, but really had no way of accessing it. And by visiting, I was helping those children, but there really wasn't a way to give broader access by training therapists and by bringing those skill sets out to the therapists who were really in the field. And DMI was therefore born out of necessity, a need for families and therapists to connect to a more powerful approach, a more powerful model the accessibility of having that training brought to them. And uh, that's where we are today. Well, that's also a very incredible and very impressive resume that you have. And it's, I think it's really innovative of both of you to put your very talented and smart brains together and come up with something that is needed in this world and uh, that you both get to help so many kids. And I know just the kids that we see at our facility who are experiencing the benefits from DMI is really incredible to watch. So you guys should be very proud of yourselves. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a lot of hard work, but it's certainly worth the efforts so far that we've seen. For sure. So can we just get into like what exactly is DMI and how does it work? So DMI is an intensive intervention. And what we mean by that is that it is best delivered in an intensive model. So as an intensive model, we provide DMI services by giving the children access to this therapy. And we ask the practitioners of this method to deliver those services multiple times a day and with a home exercise program that the parents can execute on a regular basis. The DMI exercises are all finite in that we have the theory that is the foundation of DMI, but the practical application of DMI is with exercises that have a defined start and end. And we allow and we encourage the creativity of each therapist to modify those exercises to best serve the child. So while there is a defined start and end, we always encourage therapists that if there's something that this child needs, either a change in hand placement or a change in the exposure to gravity or in the change of the intensity, speed, or power of the exercise, we teach therapists how to modify those factors and those uh, nuances of each exercise for the best outcomes for the child. 
as far as the home exercise program, the dosing is extremely important. I always tell parents there's 168 hours in the week. If I'm with your child for an hour a week, it's simply not enough to create what we're trying to create. And that is we're trying to stimulate neuroplasticity. We're trying to harness the power of neuroplasticity by giving these exercises, by starting an exercise, by giving a cue, a motor cue, and expecting a motor response, by exposing the child to gravity, by giving the correct dosage. So by doing all these things, we are utilizing and maximizing each child's potential by giving this intensive model in the way that we deliver the service. A few other things um, I'd like to mention about DMI is that we use gravity. We use a lot of the sensory systems, a lot of the afferent information to the child to create motor outcomes. But also one of the things we do look at when we are doing this is that the child is in the best alignment possible because we need first that alignment to gain stability and then mobility. But also over and above this, we consider some of the primitive reflexes. So we want to integrate those reflexes by also providing that sensory information, getting the child to find midline so that they can learn to disassociate movements And sometimes to do this, to get that alignment first, we don't always have enough control in just our hands. So we allow the therapists to use external support to help them with this, to get this alignment and this midline stability and control. It could be that they would put on theratogs or they might use muscle stim or they might possibly use arm or leg immobilizers or gaiters depending on what they need to facilitate the best, best outcome. The child will then get the sensory information. They'll practice this exercise and that will cause changes within the brain. They'll learn how to do that movement correctly, mm-hmm. not correctly in malalignment. And that is one of the differences with DMI to some of the other therapies out there. Importance of getting that midline good control, break up those reflexes, integrate them. And yes, sometimes we actually use the primitive reflexes to create movement because that's what primitive reflexes do. They teach us movement, but then we also want to move away from them and integrate them and disassociate them. So those are another uh, two other things about DMI that are really, really important to, to consider when talking about DMI. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can we talk a little bit about who can benefit from DMI? Oh, that, that list is endless. Almost anyone with any kind of motor condition. So it can be an orthopedic condition like torticollis, or it could be more of a neurological condition, cerebral palsy, any kind of genetic syndrome um, or condition like Down syndrome or any other diagnoses out there. We also work with kids who've got spinal cord injuries or um, different um, spinal cord diagnoses. We deal with muscular dystrophies, SMA. Jake, do you have any other ones to add into that? No, I I think you covered it all. I I guess if we were going to categorize it, it would be any child with any neurological damage or delay, any cortical pathology, or any genetic or metabolic disorder. But I think you covered most of it. (laughs) Believe it or not, I mean, it works with any child with 
any kind of delay. So you could also have your children with motor planning concerns and issues. So kids with autism or developmental coordination disorder. You can work on kids that are low-level functioning or high-level functioning. There are so many ways to adapt the therapy for each child that you see. Is there a specific age that the child has to be at, or is, are you ever too old to do DMI? I can tell you, you're never too young to start DMI. You want to start them as soon as possible. So as soon as you can get to therapy, you start. That can be under a month of age. We want to make those changes in the brain. We need to provide the child with as much sensory information and movement and vestibular information as possible. With regards to how old a child, it's not the age. um, It's more the ability of the child. So I have a child who is 15 years of age, but she is able to take most of the weight through her legs herself. She's able to stand and walk, but she just needs to work on refinement of movement. So yes, she can carry on doing uh, DMI. The only problem is if a child needs more support, then you limit it because it's really up to the ability of the therapist to be safe and safe for the therapist and safe for the child to be able to support the movements and the exercises. So there is no real cutoff, but it's really an individual situation. For example, Jay can probably see kids um, who have more involved needs for longer than I can because he's a lot stronger than me and he can manage a lot more their weight. But I have more limitations. So we, we leave that up to the individual therapist and the individual, you know, case by case as to how long they can, you know, carry on with this therapy for. Cool. And I mean, I know since, uh, I mean, I've just recently started practicing DMI with the kids and so even some of the adults I've worked with. And it's interesting how you do give the creative license to, you know, get creative in terms of being able to use other hands and extra supports to still try and carry out some of the exercises, obviously not all of them, but I think it's really cool that you can adapt DMI in so many different ways. Yeah, you can adapt it in many, many ways. And yes, you can definitely have the assistance of a second person to assist with some of the exercises to ensure that you get the alignment, to ensure that the child moves through the the motion and gets the experience of the movement. There's so much that you can do and you can be very creative once you understand what DMI is about. And that sometimes takes a little bit of time. You know, you go through all the different levels of DMI and you each time you do another course, you understand a little bit more deeper and deeper what you're trying to achieve. So for any one exercise, there are so many goals in each exercise. And it really is up to the therapist to work out what goal they're working on or what they're trying to achieve and apply the exercise towards that outcome. So it can be changed depending on what you're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. Can you just briefly go through a breakdown of how many levels of DMI are there and um, how that, what that looks like? Yep. Sure. Currently the way the DMI coursework is set up is we have an introductory level, an intermediate level, and a teacher's level. In the inter- in the introductory level, we have three courses, A, B, and C, altogether totaling 115 exercises. And each one was specifically designed to follow a cephalocaudal pattern. 
which allows therapists to address most gross motor needs that children will have. And in addition, we curated those exercises very carefully to ensure that therapists would have the handling skills to be able to help any kid that comes through their clinic. So that was a very strong focus. So that is the, the introductory course. In the intermediate course, there's about 200 exercises so far. It's uh, still being fine-tuned in the sense that uh, there are constantly exercises that we feel would help our therapists and our practitioners be better clinicians. So we are open to changing that. And finally, our teachers level, we're training teachers to be able to teach the courses. And not only to teach the courses, but how to train practitioners to move ahead in their careers. So far, these are our three levels. And um, as we evolve and as we develop more and more exercises, we're open to changing some things up as we go. I want to add to that, that each one of those exercises has different progressions. So for level A, we have 35 exercises. But with each exercise, there is different progressions and different variations, which actually makes it out to be closer to 100 exercises sometimes for each level. It's just endless, the toolbox that we give each therapist when they finish each level. So many variations, so many options. And it's really great for the therapists who are taking the course because not only are they learning how to really facilitate movement, they're learning to feel movements and understand different movement disorders and be able to work out, break down functional skills Mm -hmm. and choose the exercises correctly to make changes in those functional skills. And it might be little changes, little changes that add up together to make a big change in this child. So when you look at all different assessments for children within this population group, you'll find that the assessments normally are, they can sit up by themselves or they can move from sitting to lying or standing to walking. And they're very big, big, big goals. With DMI, we actually break each one of those down into increments. So each movement that is required for the child to be able to achieve that skill, we work on. It's not just the exercises that, you know, we don't just cover the functional, big functional goals. We break it down. And it's something that you can record in your notes and you can see those little, little changes in the children, which is something you it's you struggle to do with other techniques. Here you actually are able to record those minute changes in, in function. Well, it's those minute changes that add up to the big ones. That exactly, exactly. And, and these children need to break down each skill to learn it. It's very challenging for them to learn the big skill without breaking it down into little bits and pieces, mm-hmm. focusing on certain muscle groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, all these little things add up and, and that's why we see the changes. Also, all the information that the child is receiving, the sensory information. Um, we have children coming for an intensive and between the Monday and the Friday, there's a huge change in their, their functional yeah. outcomes. And it's impossible for them to have, you know, changed in strength in those few days longer. It's the, actually the changes in the brain. There's a lot of changes and connections being made in the brain because of all the information that we've given them. 
and mm-hmm. see these outcomes. It's astounding to see, and it's absolutely amazing. This is yeah. why DMI is so popular. Yeah, that's incredible. Like you, just, you guys are literally changing lives, and people say that to us, but it is incredible to watch. Yeah, it, parents just need to see it. You know, they need to just ha- experience one session, and they know they know that this is different. They can see the changes in their children. Mm-hmm. Um, Yes, the children work hard, but for neuroplasticity to occur, you have to challenge the brain. If you don't challenge the brain, you're not going to get changes. Mm-hmm. And EMI challenges the brain. It challenges the child. It you know pushes them to a, a different level. And the kids that have these neurological disorders, they do need to be challenged to make those big changes that we want to see. Yep, we agree too. Is there a lot of equipment needed for DMI? And if so, what equipment is needed? So I'll jump in on this one. So DMI is is really a very manual technique. Mostly we're using our hands. We have a treatment table that we use. People can use whatever treatment table they have, but we do have a DMI treatment table. In addition, we have a set of wooden boxes that we use to set up multiple configurations to help children who are working on standing and walking. And for the more advanced uh, skills of balance and coordination, we're able to set up all kinds of different things, such as balance beams and narrow beams and ramps and wobbly surfaces and wobbly steps, all kinds of different things. In addition, we also use a regular mat that we, for our floor exercises. And uh, we also use anti-slip mats or grip liners that can be found at most hardware stores to help us grip the children during exercises. And some people also use either gardening gloves or some other type of glove with better grip mm-hmm. so that they have a better hold on the children during exercises, especially with larger children or with exercises that will expose the child to a lot of gravity. Right. We also use different therapy balls. Now smaller than exercise balls, they're little balls. We often use sky balls. They're just the right size. And uh, we do have different balls of different sizes for different exercises. We also use tubes that we often will either use on their own or we'll use anti-slip, you know, with them. And yeah, we constantly are creating new and different box formations and ideas. And we're designing uh, new boxes and new setups and new pieces of equipment currently. So yeah, always, always changing, always challenging and looking for something new. Oh, cool. I like that. Mm -hmm. So pretty minimalistic with the equipment. Uh, Basically, it's you can do a lot with your hands and don't really need a lot. And it's a very portable therapy. It's very portable. Um, I used to work in home care and I think Jake does some work as well. And yep, I used to carry my boxes into different houses and different schools and very easy to take with you. There's also something super gratifying of knowing that I could go to somebody's house or go to somebody's, you know, school or something like that. And if I don't have my equipment with me, I can still provide a really high quality session to that child. There's something super gratifying about that because knowing the principles of DMI you have the creativity to adapt it to the child's environment. And that's something that I found very gratifying throughout my career. Mm -hmm, For sure. And can we go over a little bit about what does a DMI session look like? What's the length? And you said it's multiple times a day because it's an intensive model. But what does that look like? So that, that can vary. So the optimal is a DMI intensive that you would have two sessions a day. 
However, I have a lot of children who come in for therapy just once a week. I have children who come in for therapy a few times a week. And yes, some parents can do the homework. Some parents cannot manage with the homework. Obviously, if the parent does do the homework on a regular basis, the child will progress a little bit faster. And the session is normally, for me, I normally do an hour. I find that the kids, even from a young age, they can tolerate a lot um, of hard work. Mm-hmm. If you look at a typically developing child who's one to two years old, if you watch them, they have endless energy. They are constantly moving mm-hmm. um, to a point where it's exhausting. There's no way I can move as much as they can. And we have to remember that. They are designed that way. They are, their brains are getting a lot of that sensory information from constantly moving. They need that sensory information. They need that vestibular information and they can get it themselves. Now, if we have a child who has delays, they're not getting a lot of that information. So they are also not learning the way they should be. So by providing this intensive model of at least an hour. They they can manage an hour. Children are built for this. They they manage it really well and they end up loving it because it really gives them that endorphin high and they they feel like they're doing something. That you know they feel like they're achieving. So we definitely do push them for an hour and they, they manage really, really well. So yep, two hour sessions a day at least with one exercise after another, it's quite a strong session, you know, not many breaks in, in between, just little bits of break and onto the next exercise and onto the next in- exercise. So they get a lot from each session when they come in for therapy. Cool. So parents are now coming in, they're starting this intensive. How soon should they expect to start to see changes? So a lot of parents actually see changes in the first day because they've never seen their child do the things that we have them do or or try or experience. And the children respond really quickly to the input that we give them. With regards to permanent changes, that can vary. There's some children who come in and we just do a little bit of work and off they go. They, They start taking steps straight away. They just needed that input. Other children, it takes longer to get that that information and for that neuroplasticity to occur. They might have a bit more damage. They might have a little bit more involvement. And it does take longer. But as I said before, even the children who are very involved, we see changes over like a, if they come in for a week, we see these changes, um, these amazing changes. And even those little increments of change make such a difference for their child. Children to be able to sit on their own is huge. It allows them to, you know, participate with their peers and their siblings and interact. It it totally changes their cognitive abilities. And we see children becoming more social and more aware of the environment just because of all the information that they're receiving through the sessions. Mm-hmm. So every child's unique, but every child's seeing changes from this DMI therapy. Yeah, which is changes amazing. in every way. As I said, cognitive, speech, 
you know, some of the children develop more core strength and their fine motor improves. We see changes in their eating, their sleeping, their emotional regulation. So it's not just the physical changes. We see so many, it's a global, it's a, a whole child change. It's amazing to see. And the parents see that very quickly. Mm-hmm. And that just speaks to the foundations of neuroplasticity that DMI was built on. Exactly. 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 All right, cool. So now the parents are bringing their children in for intensives. How often do you recommend doing intensives? As often as they can. The more they provide the child, the better. One of the things that I forgot to mention about the therapy itself as well, the children who have delays and are not developing in the way that they should be developing. One of the other things that's also affected is the orthopedics, you know, whole system that children need to be standing and getting, you know, weight bearing for their bones to develop. And there's a lot of changes in the skeletal structures of the child in the first seven years of life. So the more therapy and more information and proprioceptive input and muscle action that we get the child to perform, the better the orthopedic alignment and development. So, you know, it's it's another area that's really, really important for these little ones to prevent any problems with joint dysplasias and alignment issues is, is something that we see as well. So how often to do intensives? Well, it really depends on the parent and the child course of finances there's so many different factors obviously yeah. we'd like to see the child at least four times a year but that's not always possible and that's why we want to train other therapists we want to teach the parents home programs we want to teach anyone who supports the child at home to do the exercises as often as they can because they do need daily input to make these changes orthopedically and neurologically So whatever they can manage is good. Some parents can only manage coming for an intensive twice a year, but the therapist can be providing intensives as well. And, you know, weekly sessions, you don't always have to do intensives to achieve this. Yeah. And could I just uh, piggyback on what Joanne was saying? I think that uh, teaching parents to understand that what they do at home can also be delivered in an intensive model is extremely powerful. So frequently parents will ask me, well, how many repetitions of the home exercise program exercises should I be doing? And I explained to them that it is way better in my opinion, and I think Joanne agrees with me on this, that if you have 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the afternoon to cycle through the exercises that you know for your home exercise program and always trying to achieve something that is at the child's highest level. Because when we stimulate a child at their highest skill level, we're stimulating the brain at a higher level. So by providing that time and that intensity each day, the parents are mimicking that intensive model. So while they might not be able to do an intensive on a regular basis, you know, depending on so many circumstances that come up, we can teach them to deliver the home exercise program to help their child achieve the best outcomes. Very well said. So can we touch a little bit more on what can parents do to best support their child? So we've talked a little bit about the home program. Is there anything else that they can do to best support their child? One of the things that I love to teach parents is that 
if we look at neuroplasticity and we look at how neural networks are situated in the brain and how they can be stimulated, one of the great ways that we could impact that is by looking at the highest level skill that the child is doing, what I just touched on before. So for instance, I, I explained to parents that one of the ways to do that is to examine what your child's chronological age is, and then try to do the skill within reason of what skill a child of that age could typically do. So for instance, a child might be still working on trunk control and sitting, for instance, but they're 18 to 20 months old. And I'll explain to the parents that while you're doing the exercises, make sure to do one standing exercise as part of your home exercise program each time you sit down to do exercises with your child. Mm -hmm. And the reason is, is because when we stimulate the brain at the highest level possible, everything below it becomes easier. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we've seen a lot in our careers. And we see it also supported by anecdotal evidence and as well as in the literature that if we stimulate the brain at the highest levels, the things lower than it or the things that are a, a more simple gross motor exercise or gross motor skill can be achieved easier. And I, I like to give a totem pole analogy where if we think of a totem pole, if we work on the highest face on the totem pole, everything below it gets easier. And I, I think, Nancy, when we had spoken during your course, I had mentioned how many times in my career I had gotten a, a call for a case of, let's say, a child who's 14 months old who's not yet crawling. And while I worked on crawling as one of the skills, I made standing and walking my primary focus because for most children who are 14 months old, standing and walking is what they're working on if they're typically developing. And therefore, if I made standing and walking my primary focus, what I found frequently in my career is that a child would start crawling two weeks later without having done much to crawl. And that is because I stimulated the child at that highest level that they were chronologically up to. Mm -hmm. And I was therefore pushing the brain maturity. I was, I was provoking brain maturity mm -hmm. and really pushing the envelope on that. And therefore, the lower level gross motor skills were able to emerge more quickly and easily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it's exciting that I actually got to kind of put that into practice with one of my little kiddos. And yeah, it was kind of the same thing within a couple of weeks, uh, up and crawling on hands and knees, whereas before he was just army mm -hmm. crawling. So it's kind of cool to see that translation into practice. That's awesome. Some of the other things I tell parents to also support them with the home program is that we'll give them about, just say about five different exercises. And we tell them, you do these exercises, each one of them five times. Don't go on and on and try and perfect it and do 10 repetitions and 20 repetitions. That's mm -hmm. not necessary. You do five. You do the best that you can for the five. It does, it, if it's not perfect, you're learning, the child's learning, that's okay. Move on to the next exercise. And the reason is you want to change. You want to provide variable information. So you, don't, you want to change up the information, change up the exercises. Yes, repeat it five times, repeat in the morning, then the afternoon, and 20 minutes. That's it. Don't push yourself to do you know, more than you can manage. And then enjoy your child for the rest of the day and know that you've given them that input, you've given them that stimulation that they need each day. And then the rest of the day, you know, you, you're busy with your house, you're busy with other children, you know you've done what you can do, and, uh, you know, you can relax and enjoy the child a little bit more. 
Mm-hmm. That's some great yeah. advice. And can we talk a little bit now about children crying in DMI sessions? I know that's kind of one of parents' biggest concerns when they see their child upset and that sort of thing. Can we talk about a little bit why a child cries during DMI? So there's lots of different reasons why a child might cry. And number one, no, they are not in pain. Children might have different sensory levels. So some of the children that we see might have an immature sensory system and are a little bit more fearful of movement in space. A lot of children are often protected quite a bit and have not had that vestibular experience. So initially, it's a little bit scary for them. And also, it's hard. It's challenging. We really are pushing them. So if I had to send you out to a personal trainer who really pushes you hard as an adult, it's frustrating. It's hard. But if they push you, you really gain your skills and overcome the difficulty very quickly. Same for these children. Their sensory systems eventually settle. They regulate a little bit more. Children learn how to cope emotionally with um, the therapy and the exercises, and they do settle. The crying honestly settles. A lot of the children calm in my arms because they learn to trust me. They feel confident in my hands. And the funny thing is sometimes they'll cry with the parents at home because they don't feel the same security. So it's, it's really an interesting concept. And yes, unfortunately, we do have to support the parents with the crying. It can be quite challenging for them initially. But then they learn to see that the child is actually just expressing themselves and they're fine. They're, they're absolutely okay. If we look at children, we expose them to a lot of challenges. And as parents, we need to expose them so they can carry on learning and growing. For example, school. I don't think there's any child that likes to go to school. And many children cry going to school. But we know as parents that we need to expose them to this learning environment so they can carry on growing. We can't protect them from everything. And it's the same thing with DMI sessions. Yes, it is challenging at the beginning, but they settle and they grow emotionally. They end up bossing me around in sessions and taking charge of the session because they're so in control, you know, once they settle. And I love it. I love to see how they grow emotionally. And so... Yes, it is difficult, but it is short-lived. And how long they cry is really individual. It depends on their sensory systems. It depends on the emotional regulation. But it's something that we're teaching them as well. Cool. And then, Jake, do you want to touch on a little bit about distractions, the use of distractions with DMI and kids? So especially when children are starting therapy, a distraction could be a powerful tool because we are moving them away or distracting them from the emotional response. So while it doesn't have an effect on how the information goes to the brain or how we're able to execute the exercise, many times we're able to decrease that emotional outburst or that emotional response by giving a distraction. Over time, as the child learns to regulate better, they don't need that distraction as much as they did originally. So it could be a powerful tool, especially in the beginning of therapy, either music or visual or visual, you know, visual and audio. But whatever that distraction is, it should not be that the child is holding something 
because frequently when a child is holding a toy during therapy, that increases the flexion response. And that's not something that we're generally looking for. But if the parent is able to present something in front of the child that the child doesn't hold, frequently that can help the session go a little bit smoother. Okay. Yeah, we use a lot of distraction techniques at Ryu too. And it's funny because some of the adults are like, well, where's my bubbles and why don't I get songs? <laughs> <laughs> I want to be distracted while I work out too. <laughs> that's, that's true. As adults, we do. We will put on you know, music, we'll, you know, on the treadmill, there's TVs now on the treadmill. So mm-hmm. we need a little bit of distraction to get to get us, you know, working a little harder. And that's fine. It's, it's not going to change any of the information that is going to the brain and their experiences and the ability to strengthen and, and move in space. It, it really isn't. Mm-hmm. Cool. And then can we just touch on a little bit of how DMI differs from CME? Because I know a lot of people, when they see the two, they think they're the same thing, but they're very different. Can we just touch on a few points of how DMI is different than CME? So as we said before, a lot of the work that I we've done over the years with learning different techniques, doing a lot of research, looking at primitive reflexes and integration of those reflexes, looking at alignment and postural stability, looking at orthopedic development. Those are the things that DMI focuses on first and foremost. So we've incorporated a lot of that into what we're trying to achieve and our goals, our facilitations. And that's changed a lot of the approach as to how the exercises are executed, how we design some of the exercises. We make sure that we incorporate a lot of the functional skills and we've designed exercises around that. And also the incremental changes. So looking at what muscles need to be stimulated to make that change and how we get that alignment, how a therapist aligns their body mechanics to facilitate proper movement outcomes and for optimal outcomes as well. So that is, I think, one of the biggest differences is that we do focus on that alignment piece and the underlying theories, whether it be muscle strength, primitive reflexes, all the current theories that a lot of the different therapies do look at and all the research is looking at at this point. I think in addition to that, I'd like to add that the fact that we not only allow but encourage other modalities when they could provide alignment that we can't with our hands is a huge distinction. One of the other things that DMI provides is support for therapists, which is really, really, I think, crucial for ongoing learning, ability to access ongoing learning, ability for the therapist to move forward in their careers easily and to become teachers and to be able to share what they've learned with other people. Jake and I can't do it on our own. We need a lot of people around the world to be learning this technique and sharing it with families and sharing it with other therapists. And there's so many families that need help. There's so many therapists who want to learn. So that is one of the crucial bits and pieces to DMI and why we started this and the difference with DMI Mm -hmm. is that we want to get 
therapists trained. We want families to have access and we want to make it easier for the therapists. We want them to constantly learn, mm-hmm. be able to reach out to us at any time, for them to share what they've learned so that we carry on learning, for them to incorporate new tools and new therapies so that we can keep advancing in what we're doing with the children. That's a big piece of DMI. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I mean, accessibility is always a huge thing when it comes to families, you know, really experiencing the best for their kids. So that's amazing. We also want to protect our therapists and we teach biomechanics. We try and teach them how to look after their bodies when they're delivering the different exercises so that they can be around to continue providing this therapy for our kids. So on that note, what do you feel are the most important qualities in being a good DMI practitioner? Practice. I I would say lots and lots of practice. It takes time to learn the facilitations. It takes time to learn to see what you're trying to achieve. It takes time for you to learn the skills necessary to get that alignment, to facilitate alignment for you to be able to move more distally and challenge the child more. So that all takes time and practice and patience, which is why we have three introductory courses and we've actually got four intermediate courses. It's level A, part one and two, level B, part one and two, because you need that time in between each one to practice a little bit gain those skills and then be ready for more and keep challenging yourself and growing. We don't limit therapists as to when they can take the next course because each therapist is ready at a different time. So we don't have any you know, limitations. They can take the next course when they're ready. Some therapists are seeing children every single day and are ready for more because they've practiced the skill and they've got to a certain level and they need to move forward. So um, we want to be there to support them with that. Cool. And then Jake, do you have any advice for pediatric therapists thinking about pursuing DMI? I think what Joanne had said about patients is, is really paramount. I think that's a wonderful quality. I think also that Sometimes when we are performing an outcome-driven intervention like DMI is, we sometimes get lost in pushing the child too far. And I think that there's also a bit of humility that's necessary so that we could find the correct balance between knowing how far to push and knowing when to hold back and give the child either a break or to maybe decrease the intensity of our intervention. I found that early on in my career, and I, I find that that's an important thing to, to teach to students and practitioners who are going to be performing this in the future. One of the things that I must mention is that I wish that I had these skills taught to me as a new therapist. And the reason is that the other therapies that I've learned don't teach you that facilitation that DMI teaches, that ability to connect with a child and move them through space and get them to achieve different functional skills. And it's amazing with the exercises that you can go into with this whole toolbox of exercises. So you can, you know, go into a treatment session with a child and be able to plan out exactly what you're going to do. It's so much easier than some of the other therapies out there where 
you're planning different play ideas to get a child to move. And it's like, how, how do I do this? But with DMI, you've got these exercises that are set and laid out for you. So, you know, you start here and you finish here. You do five repetitions. It makes the whole therapy session so much easier for these young therapists or even mature therapists because it is so structured and you don't have to spend the whole time like coaxing a child into doing something or, you know, trying to get them to learn something. This is direct hands-on. We start here, we do this exercise, this is the movement, this is the outcome, this is what we want to see, this is the start, this is the finish. And it makes planning so much easier. It makes note-taking so much easier. The toolbox is just incredible for a therapist to have. And uh, just to piggyback off what Joanne had just said, I, I know for myself and my own history with my own learning is that some of the other techniques that I've been trained in, they have a large theoretical background, but then as Joanne was saying, the practical application of them is limited in that I'm limited by my own creativity. If I'm having a bad day, I might not be able to connect the dots for myself or for the child. Mm -hmm. With DMI, because the exercises are so simply laid out, it helps me treatment plan. It helps me know how I could push the child. It, it tells me how I could progress within an exercise, how I can increase distal support how I could expose the child to gravity. Um, if a child has a vestibular need, I could address that. If they have limited proprioception, I could add exercises that can increase the proprioceptive input. Because of that, I think DMI really rounds out, gives a very well-rounded approach to the pediatric population. And I think that not only does the practitioner feel very gratified in that they're providing effective interventions, but I think that the child connects with it in a way that they might not be able to with, with different methods. Yeah, that's very well said. So we just have one last question. Where do you see yourselves in five years? Like, what is your future plan for DMI? I'm going to start with this one. <laughs> I don't know exactly how many therapists we're going to train. I don't know exactly how big or how worldwide DMI will be in five years. There's no way to know. But what I could tell you is that I'm in my 24th year of practice now. And I estimate that I've seen, if I've seen 50 children a year, 50 different children a year, then I've seen about 1,250 children so far. I'm not exactly sure if that number is accurate. It's probably more than that. But let's assume I've seen 1,250 children. If I train you at the beginning of your pediatric career, then I am exponentially increasing the amount of children that I've been able to help, that we've been able to help. Yeah. And Joanne and I are now leveraging our knowledge and our experience and our hope for children and their families across the world mm -hmm. by training therapists who are now going to use their skills to help their 1,250 children. Mm -hmm. So while I don't know exactly where DMI will be in five years, I know that thousands and thousands of children are going to be helped by our efforts and by our educational endeavor. And that is something that just makes me so, so grateful. And yeah. it's such a rewarding experience to know that through our efforts, we're going to be helping families and children have access to something that can literally change a child's future. 
yeah, you guys should be very proud of yourselves. Like this is something that's really amazing. And just the fact that you're both very honest and transparent and that you want to teach people and you want to, you want other people to help as many people as they can. It just goes to show that you two are incredible human beings and this impact is going to be far and wide. So yeah, you both should be very proud of yourselves. Thank, thank you so much. Pina. Thank you, Bean, and thank you, Nancy, so much for having us um, on this podcast to to be able to share this because this is what we want to do. We want people to understand and know why we're doing this. We're not doing this for ourselves. We, we we're doing great in our careers, and you know we really really want other therapists to have access to this. We want other children. We we've traveled the world. We've seen that they don't have access. And it means the more to us than anything to be able to provide it. We have some very big centers around the world who are already, you know, practicing this um, and making a difference and who are supporting us with this. So we do want to thank Napa for all their support because they've also been incremental in, in sharing this therapy to the world and making people aware of it because it just, they were not aware of it. So you know, you doing this podcast is also making that difference that the more people that hear about it through the podcast, the better. We want people educated. We want people to know there's too many therapists out there that don't know what it's about. Yeah. Yeah, we agree. We have the same mentality with anything about neuro recovery because there isn't enough people out there talking about it and so we're happy to be able to provide this platform in order to share your guys's amazing uh invention thank you so much thank you so much you're very welcome yeah and thank you guys for being a guest on our podcast and if anybody has any questions or wants to know more information about dmi is there a website that they can go to there's a few things they can do. They can follow us on Instagram at DMI Therapy. They can go to our Facebook page at Dynamic Movement Intervention. They can look at our um, dmitherapy.com website, or they can send us an email at info at dmitherapy.com, and we will answer all their questions. Awesome. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work. What you guys are doing is awesome and our kiddos are benefiting from it too. So we are seeing it firsthand and it, is, it truly is incredible. So I wanted to just give you one more big thank you. Thank you for coming up with DMI. Thank you for being a guest on our podcast. And to all of our listeners, go give them a follow, like them on Facebook and reach out if you guys have any questions. And we'll be back in two weeks with another episode.